1: live Live from the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez.
2: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, it's my pleasure to be with you on this Wednesday evening. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night National Town Hall Forum, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And there's a bunch of things here, right? So we've got parents that are fighting back against a new pride curriculum in Glendale, California. We're going to get to that at around 1130 Eastern Time. Uh, So that's uh, the bottom of the hour of hour number two. Uh, Then we've got uh, former North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, who's entered the race for president, um, making an announcement today. Listen to this.
3: To unlock the best of America, we need a leader who's clearly focused on three things, economy, energy and national security. And that is, and that is why, and that is why today I'm officially announcing I'm running for
4: the president of the United States of America.
2: All right. So that's Doug Burgum. I know all of you are very, very familiar with Doug Burgum. He's a household name in most homes in America. If you're scratching your head and squinting your eyes going, I've never heard of him before. It's okay. Me either. Not until this morning when I heard he was running for president. Uh, But uh, we're going to learn more about him as this um, unfolds. Uh, Then Chris Licht. Right. He's the CEO of CNN. He's the one that tried to clean up the network and made some changes and got rid of Stelter and got rid of Don Lemon and was trying to bring the network in the right direction. I think tried to bring some balance back to it, bringing Trump on that got him a vicious op ed in the Atlantic where they pretty much ended up ousting the guy. He got fired today and um, it couldn't have been at a better time, I guess, for for them uh, because today, Mike Pence is on CNN for a town hall because yesterday we announced that he had filed papers for the uh, presidential run in 2024. And today he announced that campaign. Uh, he did that earlier today, but he also reiterated, reiterated it just about, I don't know, maybe a half hour ago on CNN. We've got some audio of that. Listen to this.
3: I'm running because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. Uh, I think uh, President Joe Biden and the Democrats have weakened America at home and abroad. Literally, we have a crisis at our border. We have inflation at a 40-year high. We have a crime wave in our cities. And frankly, that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan has emboldened the enemies of freedom around the world. Now more than ever, I think those of us that have the experience to bring back real change and to put America back on a track of common sense conservative principles have a responsibility to step forward. And that's why I'm running for president of the United States.
2: Of course, there are still reports out there that, uh, the Democrat challenger to Joe Biden, RFK jr. Uh, is starting to shake things up. People are saying that Democrats are getting a little bit nervous. They're getting a little perturbed by this candidacy. And I would imagine that has a lot to do with RFK jr. visiting the Southern border in Arizona. He's been to the border more times than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris combined. And uh, what did he call it? He said that the illegal immigration crisis is unsustainable. And um, pointing out this uh, historic surge in illegal immigration during Biden's watch. This is a Fox News report. Listen to this. Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. visited the southern border in Yuma, Arizona this week where he described the horrific conditions faced by migrants and said the crisis is unsustainable. This is not a good thing for our country. This is not a good thing for these people, and it's unsustainable, Kennedy said. The Democrats said in a cell phone video with a section of border wall behind him, I wish I had that audio, uh, where uh, he saw migrants from Peru, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, China, and elsewhere. He said the Border Patrol agents in the sector have encountered migrants from 117 nations in the last few years. And, of course, as they're coming in, they're put on buses. They're brought to the Border Patrol station where they're processed. After four or five days, they're released on their own recognizance into the country. Of course, they're given a cell phone and a few bucks. And they tell them, hey, listen, um, make sure you register on the CBP1 app so that we can get you into court eventually, okay? And make sure you honor that commitment because that's exactly what's going on, even though the federal courts have said that this practice must end. But that's what's happening at the border. And RFK Jr. is there. And again, more than Biden and Kamala put together since they've been in office. Unbelievable to me. Now, w- what's interesting here is there's all sorts of news with respect to what's happening afterwards. You've got Towns as a town in uh, upstate New York. I believe it's called Colony, right? Uh, like Colony, but instead of with an I, uh, a Y at the end, it's with an I-E and the uh, accent on the I-E. So Colony, New York, and the town supervisor there decided to create a rule or work with the town council to pass legislation where if any buses of migrants are coming into their town, that they must register with the town. So what ends up happening is that if they send a bus from, let's just say, New York City, Mayor Eric Adams, for example, then what will happen is they'd have to check in and say, hey, look, we're sending a bus up there. We have to get this, you know, kind of cleared by them. And lamentably, they didn't do that. So they, um, now they're suing the city of New York for that. And that's one way that, you know, smaller towns can fight back against Eric Adams. But what's interesting about this Eric Adams thing is, is that today he, um, he was discussing how he's going to be sending migrants to... The, um, you know, the, the destination of their choice, if you will, but he's going to pay you in order to do it because the destination of their choice is inside your home. If you're a New Yorker, Eric Adams is suggesting taking in what he's calling refugees. And if you take in these refugees, well, then you'll get not what they pay for you to take in a foster child, which you would think is probably more important than bringing in someone from another country who's able-bodied, but no. I think the rate for children uh, is twenty six dollars and the rate for illegal immigrants is going to be a hundred and twenty dollars. So that's the Adams plan for uh, housing migrants right in your private home. I'm not making it up. I wish I was. I wish I was. (laughs) But I'm not right. This is an interesting place that we've landed in here in our country, here in, in the Big Apple. And anybody who's listening from anywhere else in America uh, you've got to think if that's happening here, you know, they test it out here and it's coming your way. Right. Just like these um, these crazy policies that we're seeing uh, uh, on the West Coast. And it, it just it strikes me that that we're not hearing any pushback, that people are just like, all right. I mean, maybe you got a couple of guys in, on radio, a few people in the news media that might say, oh, you know what? Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. But the fact that this whole thing is going down and nobody's up in arms saying, hold on a second. I thought we um, we didn't do things like that, you know. So you know, rather than the government forcing them into your house, they're going to bribe them into your home. And I'm wondering if all these people that are like, "Look, we've got to help these people," the Northern Triangle. It was the United States that started this problem. We've got to fix it. Are they going to open their doors? We shall see. We'll get to that uh, audio of RFK Jr. at the border a little bit later. But what we're going to do coming up now, I want to talk about. Uh, CNN a little bit, uh, the state of the media, of course, the 2024 election and all of these new developments, as well as the Trump indictment. And we're going to do that with our buddy Peter Schweitzer from the Government Accountability Institute. All of that straight ahead. Plus your calls all throughout this evening. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
5: We have news now to report involving our own network. News to us here at CNN and you at home. CNN's chairman and CEO, Chris Licht, is leaving the network. Licht took over the network a little over a year ago. David Zaslov, the chairman of CNN's parent company, Warner Brothers Discovery. He just made the announcement at the network editorial meeting. For now, a leadership team will take Lick's place, led by Amy Entelis, who's the executive vice president of talent and content development, along with Virginia Mosley, the EVP of editorial, Eric Scherling, our programming EVP, and David Levy, our new chief operating officer.
2: All right, so that's the news uh, that... uh Licht is out as the CEO of CNN, and I wanted to talk about the media a little bit because we don't always talk about the media when we have Peter Schweitzer on the show. And you guys know Peter Schweitzer is the author of Red Handed, uh, as well as Secret Empires, Profiles in Corruption, Throw Them All Out, Clinton Cash. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's written so many great bestsellers. But uh, Peter Schweitzer, welcome to the program, sir.
6: Hey, it's always good to be with you, my friend. Thanks for having me.
2: You bet. So I, I want to get your take on on the, the political, well, more the media landscape with CNN. So I feel like uh, Chris Licht was trying to clean up the network at CNN. And as he was doing that, you know, he gets rid of Don Lemon. I guess they push out uh, uh, Brian Stelter. And they're, they're making moves to become more news oriented, as some of their board members had indicated they wanted to see. And the next thing you know, they bring on Trump for a town hall create this uh, Atlantic op-ed that destroys Licht, and then he's out today. What's your take?
6: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the challenge that CNN has is that the way in which people are consuming news is very different than when CNN was conceived in its heyday. Um, People want to be entertained. I don't mean that in the sense that they want to compromise on facts and on news, but c n n is sort of remains in the time warp, I would say of you know Walter Cronkite, where we're just going to kind of give you the straight news. The problem is in an era where the internet gives you instantaneous news, people don't go to a news cable channel at night uh, to be given that they they want to have a a different perspective, they want to have different voices. This is the reason that Fox uh, has dominated for so long in the news media, that the shows are different in the evening. They have a point of view. Uh, and CNN, I think, has missed that. And they've been left behind by Fox and MSNBC, who have captured really what people are looking for in their news today.
2: Yeah, I agree um, w- with respect to that. I think they, they just kind of missed the boat. And, and whether they missed the boat or they were intentionally trying to just um, set the tone, right, saying, hey, look, we're going to keep doing this and we're going to keep repackaging this the same way over and over until everybody gets it. And, and I don't know which one is actually accurate, but I know the result is the same, is that they are where they are and their ratings are, are in really bad shape. Now, when it comes to the, the spin that we see, do you think the spin will subside or do you think it continues uh, with whomever they pick for, for their new um, uh, CEO?
6: Uh, that's a great question, Rich. And I think the problem is that at CNN, under the previous leadership under uh, Zucker, you had really a uh, corporate office that was coddling the talent. Um, meaning that they were, you know, very praiseworthy of the talent, supportive of the talent. The problem was that CNN was in the basement. You can't be coddling the talent if you're not competitive in the ratings. But of course, the talent wants a corporate office that is just singing their praises and gives them everything they want. So the question is, who is the next corporate leader at CNN? Are we going to get somebody like Zucker who uh, basically takes the position of just praising them, whatever they do, even if they're not competitive, or you're gonna get somebody like uh, the gentleman who just left, Elect, who said, look, we got to make changes. We we need to renovate in order to compete. So it all comes down to that choice. My sense is that the guys at Discovery want CNN to be profitable. They want it to be competitive. They're businessmen after all. They're a shareholder-owned you know owned company. Uh, so I think you're probably going to get a leader like that. And you're going to continue to have the same problem. Uh, and the right. challenge is that you've got a lot of people at CNN, Rich, that, that, you know, the prestige of CNN, the perceived sense that, we, you know, we are the news makes it very hard to get those people to realize you need to start changing with the times or you're not going to be competitive. And I just don't think I've seen that cultural change yet with a lot of the talent at that network.
2: Yeah, especially since it was the talent of the network, in my opinion, I guess that was very um, reticent to this change. I don't think Chris Litt was the problem, right? I think it was clearly the talent at the network, maybe some of the producers and (laughs) and the editorial people. So, uh, you know, clearly I think he's trying to right the ship and they're saying that, you know, in his 16 months on the job uh, that they suffered um, horrible ratings. They'd been suffering horrible ratings for a very long time. So I I think, you know, like you said, that problem continues. I think it will. And the next CEO faces the same exact problem. Uh, Although he's gotten rid of some of the people that made his job difficult. I think they continue to go down that with Poppy Harlow and uh, Allison Camerata and, and uh, Anderson Cooper, who on more than one occasion says things like, look, if you never want to watch CNN again, it's OK. I understand. I understand. Who says that? <laughs> I just don't understand how that works. So uh, yeah, what's the solution, you know, in your best estimation on how they uh, fix this so that, you know, even the lefties that want to watch CNN can get a product that they that it's going to be around because I can't see them sticking around forever if they're in a shambles like this.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a real problem because you're taking a brand, CNN. We all remember, at least I remember, you know, the Gulf War in 1991. Everybody turned to CNN because that was the news outlet everybody went to. That's no longer the case. And to get them to realize, look, the brand that you had 25 years ago does not matter. Uh, we need to change. That's a very, very, very hard thing to do with a brand like CNN. So I don't know that there's a great future there. What they need to do is, uh, you know, create a more of a sense of entertainment, uh, meaning make it more engaging. Uh, you need to have a point of view. You need to have um, people, particularly in prime time—that's where you really clean up in terms of advertising and ratings. You need to have people in prime time that actually have something interesting and creative to say, uh, because that's what matters. Um, because look, I don't know about you, Rich. I think you probably like me. By the time it comes down to uh, prime time viewing hours. I, you know, I've looked at Twitter. I've looked online. I've looked at different news websites. Yeah, you've seen the I news. generally knows. Yeah, you've seen the news. Now the question is, I want some unique perspective. And what I get from CNN is not unique perspective. And I don't think you change that anytime soon. Uh, that means that I think if you look at the three cable networks, CNN is the one most likely in my mind uh, to essentially go out of business at some point.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think this is exactly why we've seen uh, Eric Bowling on Newsmax in the eight o'clock hour uh, ever since the departure of Carlson on Fox really kind of take over in that slot. They've been beating CNN hand over fist um, uh, pretty regularly. And uh, I I think that'll probably continue as long as uh, the landscape remains the same and CNN continues to, I don't know, for lack of a better word, suck. And and that's unfortunately the way it is. Now, Peter Schweitzer, I want you to stick with us. I want to talk a little bit about some 2024 politics, uh, and then I want to get into what we what we want, what we're going to dig into, which is uh, the debt. Uh, But before we get into either of those, I want you to let everybody know in about the minute that we have remaining in this segment uh, about the drill down and uh, how frequent you put out these podcasts. You do an excellent podcast called The Drill Down. I want people to listen to it if they can.
6: Well, thanks, Rich. Um, yeah, The Drill Down is really a podcast that is investigative in nature. So we don't talk about the surface level of the news. We try to get down to the facts. We are trying to look at you know, what are the conflicts of interest, what's really driving information. So if you go to the drilldown.com, you can find the podcast. You can also find it on you know, Apple and, and Amazon and a whole host of places. And on the drilldown.com, you can subscribe to it. You can also look at supporting news information. Um, and that's really kind of what we're all about.
2: Outstanding folks. We're on with Peter Schweitzer. He's from the Government Accountability Institute. And of course, he's the author of a bunch of books, uh, which um, I'll, I'll rattle off to you again when we come back. Peter Schweitzer is with us uh, for a little bit longer. We're going to continue with him. Plus your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back.
1: America at Night with Rich
3: Valdez. I, I don't know the facts of the president's case. Um, I, I don't know the facts of the former president's case. Um, and um, But what we've got to have in this country is equal treatment under the law.
2: All right, so lots of things to discuss in 2024 politics. Our guest is Peter Schweitzer. Uh, from the Government Accountability Institute. And that clip you just heard was uh, former Vice President Mike Pence on a CNN town hall just about an hour ago where he was uh, discussing many things Trump and looked kind of a little nervous, a little hot under the collar as he was answering questions about Trump. And I think he's got a tough way to go. But we're going to discuss that and more. We've got uh, Governor Burgum who's entered the race, Chris Christie who's into, entered the race, um, uh Tim Scott for a couple of days ago. I mean, there's a lot of movement going on. Peter Schweitzer, what's your take on, on any one of these candidates?
6: Well, I think it's an interesting dynamic, Rich. Um, on the one hand, the polls show that Donald Trump is ahead in the Republican primary, but it really seems like the support is pretty fluid. Uh, meaning that, you know, he's getting roughly 50% of people supporting him in the Republican primary. But when you ask people, are they open to, if they support Trump, are they open to supporting other candidates? Uh, 75% of them say yes, they are looking for a possible alternative. So it's very, very fluid. I do think that Trump benefits from the fact that every time another non-Trump candidate enters the race, you sort of split uh, the people who, you know, maybe don't want Trump to be the nominee. So I think it's going to be a free for all. But I also think that we're going to see some very interesting developments in these early states. Uh, Iowa, for example, um, you know, if, for example, Ron DeSantis or somebody else pulls off an upset and actually wins the Iowa caucuses, um, that can create momentum and really change the dynamics of the race. So even though the polls show that Trump is a clear front runner. I don't think that that support is deep support. I think it is persuadable. And that means effectively on the Republican side, we have a wide open race. On the Democrat side, of course, it's a very different story. Uh, A lot of Democrats are concerned about Joe Biden being the nominee, but they're not going to have debates. And nobody really has stepped in that I think presents a, a real substantial challenge to him. Um, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. I think has some interesting things to say, but I don't think anybody believes that he can actually win the nomination. So uh, again, that may change if, 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 uh, Joe Biden continues to show weakness, it's very possible. We could see a Gavin Newsom, the governor of California or somebody like that step into the race. And then that might be wide open as well.
2: All right. Now, Peter Schweitzer, we're, we're looking at, uh, these 10 candidates on, on the Republican side. I think there's one or maybe two now on on the Democrat side. And and I agree with you. Um, and honestly, that's my take on on most of these candidates. I think most people believe that whomever you pick the candidate, Trump included, I think people, the jury's out. People are saying, I don't really think he can win. Right. I think that's the case. I think then there's some others that say that they, they do think he can win. But it, for me, I'm, I just kind of look at all the tea leaves and I'm looking at a, a New York Post report from a couple hours ago. Former President Donald Trump denied reports claiming that federal prosecutors have notified him that he'll likely soon face an indictment in the Justice Department investigation of his alleged mishandling of classified documents. Trump goes to Truth Social and he uh, uh, makes a social media post saying, no one has told me I'm being indicted and I shouldn't be because I've done nothing wrong. So this is uh, where we are. And then he goes on, you know, adding that this is like, you know, the hoax number one or impeachment hoax number two. Uh, And. And I I get it because they're not doing this to any other candidate. Right. You also have candidates like uh, my former boss, Governor Chris Christie, and who I who I respect and I like and I think is a good politician. Uh, But I don't think he's um, really has a path forward here other than to be this kamikaze candidate to kind of take out Trump. What say you?
6: No, I I think, Rich, that's a really astute observation, uh, because, you know, the problem is the frustration, I think, with a lot of Republican voters and a sizable portion of independents is they don't want the primary, they don't want the general election decided by a court case. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that's what I think a lot of the frustration is with the with the pursuit of Trump. I mean, look, you can say I don't know the particular details of the case, you could say maybe he didn't handle the classified documents well. You can say the same thing about Joe Biden. You can say the same thing about Mike Pence. I mean, this is, right. this is a perpetual problem with the classification system in America, but people inherently don't want this decision made by a judge or a jury. They want it made by voters. Uh, so I think the more that they pursue Trump uh, in, in the court of law, it actually benefits him in terms of the Republican primary. And that's kind of a paradox. But I think that's absolutely the case. And I think if they if they do actually indict him on this and or other cases, it's actually strangely gonna to be to his benefit in the Republican mm-hmm. primary. And again, I don't think that's something we want either. I think we just want it decided on the merits of who people of the relative parties believe is the best standard bearer for their party going forward into twenty twenty four.
2: Yeah, Peter Schweitzer, I know you're 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 a scholar, you're a researcher. Um, you're a really bright guy, Uh, but, uh, I want you to, to put all of that aside (laughs) and just think (laughs) like a politician for a second and think who in their right mind comes up with this plan that says, we're going to keep indicting Trump over and over. They already did it once. And he, he made a gazillion dollars in fundraising and, and he dominated the airwaves like he was still president again. So. After that, don't you think somebody would have said, all right, let's not do that again. That clearly backfired. (laughs) If they're going to do it again, I mean, they might just hand him the nomination. And you're right. People are conflicted because they're like, look, I don't even like Trump anymore. I don't want to go with Trump. But guess what? I got to go with Trump because they're trying to railroad him. Yeah,
6: I mean, look, one way you could look at this is that the Democrats want Trump to be the nominee. And one of the ways they encourage or almost guarantee him being the nominee is to continue to pursue him in these legal matters. That's one theory. I mean, I don't know what their motivation is. That may certainly be part of it. But, yeah, I agree with you. It has not worked. It has not worked in the legal sense. Um, We certainly saw what happened with, you know, with the the, the Mueller investigation and, and all these matters. It seems to backfire. And yet, I do think if you look at the candidates, what is the reality? The reality is Joe Biden has high negatives because people don't think that he is quite with it, let's say, uh, and, and uh, also Donald Trump has high negatives because people maybe don't like his personality, the way he talks, et cetera. I do think that the Democrats would prefer to face Donald Trump in a general election than they would somebody like Ron DeSantis because his negatives, that is Donald Trump's negatives, are quite high. Everybody's made up their mind on Donald Trump. There are very right. few people that are saying I'm on the fence. I think with DeSantis, there's a little bit wiggle room. Um, so that, that's probably the calculus that is, is, is play here. And if you believe that these legal matters are being, the decisions are being made in part out of a political motivation, which I think is, is certainly reasonable, uh, then that is probably part of the calculation.
2: That's a good point, one that I hadn't considered. Uh, very good point. And I, and I do like Trump. And I think you're right. People have made up their mind uh, and, and they, really, they realize whether yeah. the, the, whether you, you've decided what you like and what you don't like and and you're coming up with a conclusion. It's everybody else that you kind of got to get to know. And I think that's why people are sort of on the fence. Uh, excellent point. Peter Schweitzer is with us. We're about to jump into our conversation on does America have a debt problem? And uh, good old Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's now Secretary Buttigieg, he um, he says, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, guys. We, we don't have a, a spending problem. We don't have a debt problem in this country. We just, we just don't have one. I don't think we do. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what he's smoking, but uh, I, I don't want any of that. Folks, we're on with Peter Schweitzer. We're coming right back to him and our conversation on the debt. Don't go anywhere.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
0: Let's
7: talk about the accumulated debt, because we've been telling people for so long that accumulating this debt is going to become a, you've had former chairman of the Joint Chiefs saying it was a national security issue. That was in 2011 with Mike Mullen. Uh, We've been talking about, oh my God,
6: this is going to become a problem at some point. And yet our economy keeps growing. Our ability to hold more debt continues to grow. Do we have a debt problem in this country or not? What say you?
3: Well, one thing I'll say is that we have been working to reduce the deficit, which is the first step in reducing the debt. Uh, you know, the, right, but the debt does keep growing. We've yet to re-
7: we haven't reduced it. We've just sl- we've slowed the we've slowed the rate of growth
3: a bit. Yeah, I mean, again, that the first thing you got to do if you want to see that debt come down is to get a
2: handle on the deficit. All right, so that is. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, he's on with Chuck Todd and uh, trying to wiggle his way out of saying, look, it's, it's, we don't have a debt problem. This is not what's going on here. Uh, meanwhile, we have a debt ceiling deal, but um, many, including Peter Schweitzer, feel this deal just doesn't do enough. Peter Schweitzer, welcome back. So let's discuss this. I know there's a, there's a, a piece in uh, Breitbart where you're a contributor that discusses this. It's got a clip from the drill down. If anybody wants to see it, I'll tweet it out so you guys could see it. But I want to dig into this a little bit, Peter Schweitzer.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the bottom line is you have to ask yourself a question. Can a government spend as much money as it wants? Uh, and if you think it can, then, you know, why stop it at, at a couple trillion dollars? Why not make it $10 trillion? The bottom line is most people recognize there are limits to what the government can spend and how deep the deficit can be. And we're reaching a point where we are going to be spending in a matter of a couple of years as much on just debt payments to people that we owe money to as we spend on our entire national defense budget. Um, That's just not sustainable. And the the, the national debt we now have is the size of our gross national product. That's like if you are living in a home and – The debt that you earn on your credit cards is the exact same amount as your annual income. I'm not talking about mortgage payments on a house. I'm not talking about investments. I'm just talking about debt payments that you're paying.
2: Yeah, The the infamous debt to income ratio. When you go to buy a house, you're talking about a hundred percent.
6: Yeah, it's a hundred percent. And the problem is, is that a lot of this money, let's be honest, is not being invested in something that's going to make us more productive down the road. Uh, it's being paid in entitlement programs and things like that. So we have a crisis in the country and we have a political leadership generally in, most, in both political parties that don't want to confront it. Social Security is going to be bankrupt in 10 years. Is anybody really on Capitol Hill proposing any kind of solution for it? Of course not, because in 10 years, most of these people are going to be retired. They're not going to be at office. They don't want to make difficult decisions. They don't want to have to make tough choices. So they punt it and they kick it down the road. And that's the problem that we're facing today with our political leadership. And, you know, look, I think the Republicans tried to do some things uh, in in this uh, debt ceiling debate. And by the way, the debt ceiling is the only time we have a serious budget debate in this country anymore. We don't really have budget debates like we used to have because Congress hasn't passed a budget on time since 1996. So this is the one opportunity we have to have a serious conversation about this. And what they essentially got were curbs on future growth in government spending. Uh, They didn't really get any cuts. And they complicated the problem, in my opinion, by saying we cannot cut defense. And look, I am as hawkish, as patriotic a guy as anybody. But if you were going to have a debate about cutting government spending— I don't see how you can say we're going to cut everything, but defense, you're going to have to cut across the board, but nobody again wants to have that conversation. So it's very frustrating. It's like watching a train wreck that you see is happening in slow motion, but everybody keeps saying, well, it's so far down the tracks. We don't need to worry about it right now. I think we need to worry about it now because if we don't, we're not going to be able to avoid it when we're finally in front. of it.
2: You know, this is a, um an interesting place because I think we need to worry about this as of yesterday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah. and, and, we're not there. And, and, and you bring up a great point that we don't have these serious conversations about anything um, unless it's, it's around the debt ceiling. We haven't had a, a balanced budget passed in forever. And, and I don't think we're ever going to, because, you know, one thing I, I've observed of Washington is that when you let them get away with something, they'll just keep getting away with it. So it's the new norm is to pass a continuing resolution, right?
6: Yeah, that's right. We don't, we don't have budgets anymore. It's a continuing resolution. We don't actually have debates on the House Budget Committee debating the merits of how much we're spending on an HHS program or a DOD program. It all gets punted and packs, it passed into these big budgets. And one thing I will give Speaker McCarthy credit for is on this you know bill that was passed uh, for the debt ceiling, They did actually allow elected officials and the general public to read the bill 48 hours in advance. Let's remember under Nancy Pelosi, they were putting together (laughs) 3,500 page continuing resolutions that the members couldn't even read and they were supposed to vote on it. Right. You've got to pass the bill
2: to to learn what's in it.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So we're making some progress, but the problem is, Nobody in Washington wants to p- tackle a difficult, complex subject if they can kick it down the road. And that's what they continue to do. And unfortunately, both political parties are doing it. Nobody's stepping up to say, hey, guys, stop. We need to start working on this problem because it's going to be a catastrophe in a few years. We can prevent some problems now, but we're not going to be able to avoid them five years from now if we don't start doing, dealing with it now.
2: Yeah, uh, excellent point. Folks, Peter Schweitzer's president of the Government Accountability Institute. He's the host of the Drill Down podcast, a senior contributor at Breitbart News, and uh, he's the author of many books, um, not the least of which is Red Handed, which was, uh, was that the most recent one, Peter? Yeah, it came out in 2022. That's right. Yeah, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. And we're, we're still seeing that uh, play out. Peter Schweitzer is one of the first uh, to bring that to our attention. Peter Schweitzer, let everybody know how to get in touch with you, how to buy the books, how to listen to the podcast and how to keep up to speed with the work that you're doing.
6: Well, thanks, Rich. It's always great to be on with you. Um, you can uh, find our podcast on the drilldown.com. You can find our organization information at g dash I.org, or you can go to peterschweitzer.com and you can find my books everywhere. Um, the last three have been number one New York times bestsellers. I appreciate the support of people, and I love to hear from people. So if you actually read the books and uh, you want to send me comments, I would love to hear your thoughts and uh, your input on uh, what I've written about.
2: Outstanding. Now, what are you working on? Give us a sneak peek. What's the next one about? (laughs) Well, I'm doing a book
6: right now uh, that is looking at China and the threat presented by China and the fact that our national leaders don't want to confront it. And unfortunately, Rich, even on these kind of important issues, it all comes down to money. It all comes down to a strategy that China has employed Mm -hmm. called elite capture. And it's pretty straightforward. It's like, instead of confronting a foreign country, we're going to buy off parts of the political elite. We're going to give them political deals. And it's a huge problem in America. So that's what I'm working on right now. And, uh, you know, maybe we Mm -hmm. can come back and talk about it in six or eight months from now.
2: Looking forward to it. Peter Schweitzer, everybody. Thanks for being here.
6: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Rich.
2: All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
1: This, Is America at Night with Rich Valdez?
8: I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time.
1: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, let's hit the phones. 8334 Valdez. Let's go to Joe in Naples, Florida, W G U F. Go right ahead, Joe. Joe, are you with us? No. We don't have Joe. Joe has they've gotten to him. The deep state got to him. Joe wanted to make a comment about documents, and it looks like the deep state got him. Anyway, you know, what's interesting is that every president since Ronald Reagan. Has mishandled classified documents, and that's according to who? The National Archives. So, uh, and and I'm talking about the Chief Operating Officer of the National Archives, William Bosenko. Every presidential records administration from Reagan forward has found classified information in unclassified boxes. He testified that in a uh, in a hearing on Capitol Hill <clears throat> in May. So uh, all I could say is this stuff with Trump seems. In many ways, like a witch hunt. And speaking of Reagan, we've got Ronald Reagan's oldest son, Michael Reagan, who's going to be on with us next to be discussing uh, the Reagan Legacy Foundation and his brand new book, Lessons My Father Taught Me, The Strength, Integrity, and Faith of Ronald Reagan. We're going to discuss that straight ahead, so don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss it. Michael Reagan on the lessons that his father taught him. All right, it's me, Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833 482 Michael Reagan's up next, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join us tonight, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And uh, again, uh, just a couple of quick headlines. Uh, former Vice President Pence has officially launched his 2024 campaign Uh, governor Burgum, who who, former governor Burgum from North Dakota has also thrown his hat into the ring. Uh, we've got crazy amount of smog. They're calling it smog, haze, this, and let me tell you, I'm, I was in New York city earlier today and, um, throughout the daytime, I can tell you around seven o'clock, it got a little better, but this haze they're talking about is nothing more than billows of smoke. It's all over the place. You feel like you're in the fire. Uh, it's amazing that it's in Canada. That's how bad the it's, it's not bad air quality. You're choking on smoke. It was absolutely horrific. Um, I, I hadn't seen anything like this, honestly, for I don't think I've ever seen it in my lifetime. That's the the whole 45 years I've been in, in, in New York City. But anyway, that's that. So in case you've seen that on the news, that's not hyperbole. I think they're actually downplaying it, it seems much worse than it actually is. George Soros' son Alex is posting photos of a meeting he had with Vice President Harris, who I like to call Kemala Mala Eres, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, that wasn't on her public schedule. So she might have some splaining to do. And uh, the witch hunt continues as uh, the Biden Department of Justice informs President Trump that He'll be indicted next week is what they're saying. He's saying nobody's told me anything. I've done nothing wrong. We'll get to that at the top of the next hour. But what I want to talk about now is President Reagan. And our guest uh, for, for this half hour is his eldest son, Michael Reagan, who's written the book Lessons My Father Taught Me, The Strength, Integrity, and Faith of Ronald Reagan. Michael Reagan, welcome to the program.
9: Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I live in California. We get smoke inhalation on
2: Yeah, <laughs> I would bet. I would bet you guys get it on a regular. That's uh, what I, It felt like California here in New York City today, sadly. Now, before we get into the book, and I'm sure it's an amazing book because uh, I'm, I'm a big fan uh, of your dad's. But I have to ask you, what's your favorite Reagan joke? So
9: my favorite Reagan joke is usually the last one I heard. Uh because it. he told so he told so many. I I mean, no, the last one I would hear somebody was they sent me my dad's jokes all the time. You I know, bet. something about oh yeah, and I'm trying to remember the last you know the joke he told about Russia being able to walk into the president's you know president bang on the table said I don't like Ronald Reagan. And what have you? I mean that was a good one. A good one he had when he was what the one in Iowa, where uh, a Republican came and spoke, and people actually showed up, and they didn't have a place <laughs> for him to stand, and so he stand on a power at a pile of manure, so he could, and that's where he stood to give his speech, and uh, and I guess at the end of it, uh, people clapped and applauded and what have you, and said to him, "Gosh, we've never we've never seen a Republican here before." and and uh, the Republican speaking said, and I'm you know this time I got to speak from you know the from the Democrat uh, hierarchy there on the pile of crap, basically was it and <laughs> but his-, his but he, he he used his jokes to really kind of get people off their guard, whatever it might yeah. be uh, with his his sense of humor whether dealing with Sam Donaldson. When when Sam would yell at him and my what dad would yell at him. Huh? What, what are you saying is that but you know, Sam Donaldson came a couple of years ago to the Reagan Library and he was the guest speaker on the occasion of my, my father passing and his birthday. Hmm. Um, loved him. Ended up loving him. Of course, my dad helped make his career. But so many people who were not fans of my father ended up loving him because he was that kind of a guy. He made he made Friends of enemies, not enemies of friends, and he used humor in so many ways to be able to do that. Mikhail Gorbachev, just but verify it and go on and on from there.
2: Yeah, I, I got to tell you, there's so they didn't call him the great communicator for nothing. Now again, the book is lessons from uh, lessons my father taught me: the strength, integrity, and faith of Ronald Reagan by his eldest son, Michael Reagan. Now, Michael Reagan, let's uh, let's dig into this. Why did you decide to put this book together and why now?
9: Well, I I put it together because people are always, you know, what happens when you were the son of infamous people? I mean, only two people were ever born into a family where the mother would go on to become an Academy Award winning actress. My mother, Jane Wyman, and your father Mm -hmm. would go on to become president of the United States. Only two people were ever born into that family my sister Maureen and myself. And Maureen passed in 2001, so now it's like me. And it doesn't matter what you've done, 26 years in radio, five, six, seven world records in powerboat racing, all the things I, I've done, and people still say, how was it being raised by Ronald Reagan? And that's always the first question. When I, I go out and give a barn-burning 45-minute talk, go to Q&A, first question, how was it being raised by Ronald Reagan? And so you get to a point saying, you know, maybe I should just write that book. Except <laughs> what's, you know, the lessons I learned from my father. Because it doesn't matter how much I've done, you are so small in some ways compared to your, your parents, who were just huge uh, in the industries they were in. My mother in acting, my father was there also. My mother has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Handprints and footprints of Grandma's Chinese. Academy Award Best Actress, Best Song, Best Picture for Golden Globes. Dad, by the way, only has one star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, <laughs> but he ended up doing pretty good and with his life. But again, you, it's that it doesn't matter where I am in the world. That's the questions it's always asked. So therefore, you have a book. Lesson my father taught me.
2: Outstanding. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, to checking out the book because. Uh, th- these lessons, you know, th- there are lessons that your father's taught me, right? And, and I was born in 78, mm-hmm. you know, but my mom was a huge uh, fan of, of, of President Reagan's and my dad, and they, they were all, uh, I guess, Reagan Democrats, you could say, and then became Republicans and kind of Re- Reagan
9: way. was a Reagan Democrat. Reagan was a well, Reagan Democrat before he became a Republican. Excellent point. You know, you know so it's, but yeah, it's, so you're the same age as my son, Cameron, born in 1978. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's, and it, boy, he just idolizes his grandfather because the older he gets, the more he learns about his grandfather. Or my daughter Ashley, who just got married, learns more and more oh, about her grandfather. But, but well, thank you. But probably the first lesson I learned, and you probably talk about it a lot on your show, I learned about America from my dad. You know, too often we put off teaching our children about America to someone else other than us. And I remember sitting in the right front seat of, a, of my dad's station wagon after he would pick me up at mom's house on a given weekend and we'd go out to the ranch. And I'd be riding out there. He regaled me with Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard songs. He would sing. just He would just go off doing that. And I learned about America sitting in the right front seat of a station wagon riding out to the ranch on a, a, a given Saturday. And it was great to to, to gain that that knowledge, you know, and maybe I didn't understand it as much then when I was younger. Usually we just look at our parents like they're nuts anyway. Uh, But the older you get, the more you really get to understand it. So when people sit there and say, was your dad really like that? You go like, yeah, he was really like that. I I was at the ranch center today. and There were some couples that were there who were going to go to the ranch for the first time and visit the ranch, possibly be people who were going to contribute the Young America Foundation, and they said, What do you what do you want us to know about the ranch? I said, What you're gonna learn is when you walk through that door of the of the ranch, you're gonna to say to yourself, Oh my God, I was right. He's exactly who I thought he was. That was my dad.
2: Outstanding. <clears throat> Folks, we're on with Michael Reagan. He's the author of the brand new book, Lessons My Father Taught Me, the strength, integrity, and faith of Ronald Reagan when we come back. We're going to discuss um, a little bit about the, 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 the acting history and um, the, the move into politics as well as digging into the book, Lessons My Father Taught Me, The Strength, Integrity, and Faith of Ronald Reagan by Michael Reagan. We're coming right back.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez.
7: You know, there's a story about a pig and a chicken. They got tired of farm life, decided to find jobs in town. They no sooner arrived in town when the chicken spotted a sign in the window of a restaurant. It said, Ham and eggs, a dollar and a quarter. The chicken suggested they go in and apply. And the pig said, Wait a minute. For you, this job only requires a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment.
2: (laughs) All right, there's a great example of Reagan's uh, wit and humor. Our guest is Michael Reagan. He's the guest of Lessons My Father Taught Me, the strength, integrity, and faith of Ronald Reagan. Michael Reagan, uh, we talked about your dad's humor a little bit earlier. I want to talk about some of the um, contributions that he's made to America, and there, there were many. Uh, I think most notably, and one that's most um, noticeably absent now, is how he was president of SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, and because he'd become so much of an anti-communist throughout his career, he did a great job of keeping Chinese influence, communist tendencies, things that are uh, pervasive today in Hollywood. He kept them out of Hollywood, and today we don't see that, and... and that stuff is running amok everywhere. What's your take on that?
9: Well, you know, he was president of screen. actors guild nine times, took him out on strike twice once. So they get their rights back. You know, every photograph taken to me as a child was taken by the studios because once wow. you signed on with a the studio, they owned you lock, stock and barrel. Um, and he took them out on strike. So they'd get their rights back. They get residuals today because my father took them out on strike so that actors, would get residuals if their shows played again. And you know what he did when he, when he signed that into law as, as sad president, he wrote himself out of it. So he would never receive residuals because he didn't want people to believe he was only doing it so he'd make money in the future off any of his movies that may rerun. It, it's amazing what he did, Screen Actors Guild. And uh, on his 100th birthday, we want to see if we get him an honorary Oscar. And they turned it down. No, we're never going to give him anything. And but again, it was a, it was a different time. And my dad had to come home. He had to sleep with a gun. My mother Jane was, you know, this is not crazy. Uh, he had to he had to be tough with these people back in back in the thirties, the forties, and fifties. And 50s when he took him out on strike, I think in the nineteen sixties, also early sixties, had to be tough with these people. But it probably also honed him when he becomes president of the United States, he's now dealing with the king of communism and socialism, the Soviet Union. And I think it probably mm-hmm. honed his skills to be able to deal with them uh, in the future, which he did. And uh, and you know, the rest is kind of history. The problem is, uh, we believe history started this morning when we got out of bed. Uh, we don't understand that we're doing the same things now that, in fact, he fought against has as Screen Actors Guild president, as governor of California, as president of the United States of America, and the world is sliding back to where it was prior to him and Pope John Paul and lech Valencia and Vaco Havo and you know, Lady Thatcher and what have you, where they put us on a great footing, that footing is disappearing.
2: Now, Michael Reagan, uh, the whole book is obviously about lessons that you've learned from your dad on uh, his strength, his integrity, his faith, um, mm-hmm. If you wouldn't mind, take a moment and, and share a couple of those stories of strength, integrity, and faith with us so that people could uh, learn some of these lessons that you've learned.
9: Well, well, uh, I'll give you one. I mean, one of the things, and this is the last thing I say in the book, forgiveness. I, I learned to forgive because I had things in my life that I just never would forgive people for or forgive myself for. And it, 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 like he used to say, don't let someone else's attitude determine your attitude for the remainder of the day. And how many of us sit there and, well, my parents are angry at me or didn't treat me right or didn't say they love me. And so I'm going to hold that against them for the rest of my life and act accordingly. So he really talked about forgiveness with faith. Uh, flying on Air Force One, gosh, it was Good Friday, 1988. And as we're landing at Point Magoo in California, counts up the number nine on his fingers. I said, what's important about that? He says, well, number nine, nine more months, I'll no longer be president. And that's important to you? He says, yes, it is. I said, why? He says, ever since I was shot back on March 30th, 1981, and I looked out the window of the limousine and saw people laying in their own blood with bullets meant for me. I haven't gone to church wow. on a regular basis. I haven't wanted to put people in harm's way. So I'm looking forward nine months from now of no longer being president of the United States. And so on Sundays, I can once again start going to church on Sundays mornings and visiting with my Lord and Savior. I haven't done that all these years, and now I'll be able to do it.
2: Wow. It says a lot about his commitment to his own faith and who he was, you know, behind the scenes. What was it like watching uh, your dad grow from being this big Hollywood actor to being president of the United States?
9: Well, I did like I used to rip him. I say, you know, if you would have told me you were going to do this, I would have saved everything you ever gave me. Uh, <laughs> right. just, you know, I would have saved every Christmas card, birthday card, everything. I would have I saved all those things. But, you know, it's just. It, it it was amazing because what happens you find out also in many ways is your life opens up because your parents are so famous. It also closes down because they're so famous. So, you know, for eight years, I had secret service protection. My daughter actually, when she was born, we knew her code name before we even knew she was a girl. Uh, so you, you go through things like that and you've got to learn to deal with it <laughs> because it is kind of overpowering when you have secret service in your life with, you know, eight, eight years and so what i do is concentrate really what my sister wanted me to do she she said michael when you can leave radio will you promise me you'll leave radio and carry on the legacy of our father and she was on her deathbed with melanoma and we had this conversation three months before she would die and i promised her then i said yeah i will and i left radio in 2009 i have a foundation the reagan legacy foundation we provide scholarships for the men and women who serve aboard the uss ronald reagan uh, that's out there right now protecting Taiwan and what have you from what's going on in that area of the world. So we have these uh, a great program give give $1,000 checks to men on board, $2,000 checks to family members who are at home trying to better their lives and their be- their education. And so you know, keeping the legacy of my father alive because it's such a wonderful, wonderful legacy. And as we just passed up D-Day, the fact that my father was the first president to ever speak at Normandy, France, on D-Day, every president wow. since then, save one, Biden, has spoken yep. at Normandy, France on D-Day.
2: You know, we we played that audio yesterday, so it's, it's so apropos that you're on with us today. Folks, let me just remind you, we're on with uh, Michael Reagan, the eldest son of President Ronald Reagan. Lessons My Father Taught Me is the book, The Strength, Integrity, and Faith of Ronald Reagan. Michael Reagan, in the few seconds that we have remaining, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book and learn more about the Reagan Legacy Foundation.
9: Uh, the easiest way, go to Amazon. I Just go to Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can order on Amazon. If you want to find out about our scholarship program, you go to reaganlegacyfoundation.org and hit donate.
2: Perfect. All right, folks, that's Michael Reagan. I want to thank you, sir, for being a patriot and for this book and for being with us tonight.
9: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
2: You bet. All right, straight ahead. More to come. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are
3: you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring.
1: with Rich Valdez. month event at a Los Angeles area elementary school. It broke out into violence last week. Police officers they had to separate protesters and counter protesters outside Sadekoy Elementary. Tensions at this school have been rising since last month when parents decided to keep their children home from that school's pride assembly. Now last month a transgender teacher's small pride flag displayed outdoors was also found burned. Protesters outside the school wore t-shirts with leave our kids alone on them. They carried signs with slogans like parental choice matters and no pride in grooming. These people want to force us back in the closet. They want to impose that every, you know, child should be heterosexual, that the only correct relationships are straight ones, when there are wonderful, beautiful families that attend this very school, that are queer, that are happy and wonderful, and they would like to tear those families apart.
6: Nobody has an answer to that. Nobody can answer why they're doing this at an elementary school and not at the high schools or the middle schools where, you know, this is probably a little more appropriate.
10: Some would argue even that's not appropriate, but meanwhile, at least three people were arrested yesterday following what turned out to be violent demonstrations outside the Glendale School District building, this in L.A. That's where a district meeting on LGBTQ studies was being held. The superintendent there recommending the Board of Education to adopt a resolution to designate June as LGBTQ plus Pride Month. Again, this in a school.
2: All right, that's a report from Newsmax TV on the punches that were thrown at the California school uh, protest over the LGBTQ plus curriculum and Pride Month. Uh, There was a bunch of parents and uh, activists, and one of those activists is with us now. He's the founder of the Real Lexit Movement, Jesse Holguin. Welcome, my brother.
11: How you doing, brother? Thanks for having me on, my brother Rich. It's been a while.
2: Yes, sir, It has. I'm, I'm I'm glad that you had the time to come on with us. On the, We have a, the, this new schedule. Jesse Olguin's a, a frequent guest of mine on my program uh, out of New York. And now that we've been syndicated and we're on at late night, this is your first time on, so I want to welcome you. And uh, uh-huh. so you were there, right? You were there yeah. doing your activism. Uh, I saw some of the parents and the videos that I saw, just to give some context, I saw parents there wearing T-shirts saying, you know, yes. uh, leave our kids alone. And they were there yeah. holding signs and, you know, against grooming, against all sorts of things. And, and there were other people wearing um, rainbow flags. And it seemed from the clip that I saw that one of the people wearing the rainbow flags and a mask on his face went and tried to grab a sign or pull the sign down out of one of the parents' hands. Then they pushed him and they pushed him back and then they punched a person from the back and then other parents got involved. And it became uh, a, just a big show and the police got into it. Uh, what did you see while you were on the ground, Jesse Holgey?
11: I yeah, I seen it. It was mo- like you said. It was mostly a lot of mothers. Like it was just parents. Like on on our side, it was um, it was just parents, and it was mostly the, the the crowd was mostly Latinos and Armenians. And on the other side, it was just mostly white liberals. It was so it was, was kind of you see on our side, it's just parents, just normal parents mostly latinos mostly armenians and on the other side it was just white liberals and then you could tell a lot of them were were not were just activists like a lot of like all on our side all people were local people just parents concerned people who have whatever, kids but, in the district yeah and the other side you could see that you could tell they didn't even live in the area they were just activists because the leftists and the the gay pride whatever activists, they, they had, they made memes and like had put them out in all their chat groups, telling everybody to go over there. So a lot of activists that didn't even live in the area that were just for the, the LGB movement or whatever came from other areas. And they were just there being activists and Antifa was there. And, um, we was all out there. Um, like I said, there's a lot of mothers concerned about their children. And that's when it was over because they, they don't want them putting that LGB car- uh curriculum in schools and they didn't want them uh, doing having a pride uh day or month, whatever it is. And that's what mm-hmm. the parents were. They they're sick of it, and it's funny, bro. Because last week there was another incident in uh, North Hollywood in the Santee Elementary School. Similar situation happened. And imagine that—that's in California, liberal, like like New York, liberal California, and parents all over the state over here are outraged. They're fed up. They see that what we've been telling them for all these last couple years. They're fed up now, parents, and they just want, like, nobody's even against all the LGB and all the, like, how that one that you just played in the monologue, that mm-hmm. girl said, nobody's against all that, because there's always, your whole lifetime, brother, I know you, there's been gay people you've seen my right. whole life, so I've ever, I've always seen gays, my life, nobody ever had a problem with them before in our lives, it's only now because they're ramming it down our throats, and now the people are just saying, leave the kids alone. There's no need to be talking about any of that stuff at schools with children because they're grooming them.
2: You know, Jesse Hogan, let me remind everybody who you are. For those who are just listening to Jesse for the first time, Jesse's the founder of the Lexit Movement, which stands for the Latino exit from the Democrat Party. He's a political activist. Uh, and And former gang member, and Jesse, tell us a little yeah. bit about your story of how you got out of gang life and got into becoming a political activist
11: yeah well, I was like you said a gang member, but um I got shot and paralyzed, and I, when I was dying, I called out to the Lord, and like I always say he not only really saved my life but he saved my soul so I, I I got born again Christian, and then as I was growing in my faith. I just seen um, as a Christian, I could no longer support the Democrat party. So that's when we leave the Democrat party. And then it led me to do my research on the, the Democrat party. And I seen that they founded the KKK, the Jim Crow. I just started learning about stuff that they never taught me in school or none, none of that about the Democrat side. So I left them. And then um, when Trump came out, I seen that the media was just attacking him every day, nonstop. So then and, I and just want to remind you, you're like of Tom. Mexican
2: yeah. heritage, right? Jesse. So yeah, when, when Trump came on the scene, 2015, yeah. the big thing there, he was saying, is, you know, the Mexicans, they're bringing their rapists, their murderers. And that was the only yeah. clip that you could hear being played out of context by the media. How did you react to that?
11: Yeah. And we just knew because what he was saying was right, because we live right because California right there at the border. It's a border state. So we know there is all kinds of rapes and all that stuff happening at the border. They never want to talk about the human trafficking, the rapes and all that going at the border. So we're like, yeah, he's right. There's all kinds of rapes and, and all that. He didn't say everybody. He just said that there is some. Bad. He didn't say all. He said there is some bad. You know The fake media just took it all out of proportion, and they did all that when Trump used to be a Democrat, and then so so all those years he he wasn't a, a racist, but then all of a sudden, as soon as he <laughs> right. runs for Republican, all of a sudden he's a, a racist, and they used to all love him, the left, and all the rappers, and all and they used to all love Trump. Trump's dad was even a Democrat, but they had no problem with them then. But then all of a sudden, so he knew. That it was it was malarkey, and then uh, and then like you said, me ex gang member from La Puente, California, over here in the hood, the barrio, all that. He invited me to the White House six times, so it was just a total. It was a total joke. So, um, and then we just seen the laugh. is just totally radical. So.
2: So you traded in your gang colors for the red, white and blue. Jesse Holguin is founder of the Lexit movement, the Latino exit from the Democrat Party. And uh, they take on different types of issues uh, in social um, activism as well, such as. Uh, protecting children from grooming and uh, being hypersexualized in public schools. Jesse Holguin, I want you to stick with us when we come back. I want to continue this conversation and add a couple of other elements to it. Folks, if you have a question or you'd like to chime in on the conversation, get us online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Or, of course, you can give us a call live, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ.
4: Thank you for everything. I know you very well. And I have, I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen and they love your show. And I appreciate it very much.
1: America at night with Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, our phone number 8334 Valdez. Just a quick reminder that we are going to be kicking off open phone America in the next hour at the top of the next hour, where you can call in on any topic Eight three three four Valdes valdez 833-482-5337. Now, I just want to share with you, before we bring our guest back in, uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, former governor of California, uh, he did an interview with People Magazine to promote his new Netflix uh, series that is called, appropriately, Arnold. It's a three-part documentary series on him. And one of the things that he says, uh, he's talking about death, and he says he doesn't feel comfortable about with death, um... He doesn't like it. He gives meaning to heaven and death. And uh, the 75-year-old actor uh, who uh, has done a million different films, he says that he's uncomfortable with death, but he feels that heaven, in his mind, is a fantasy. And he, here's a quote. He says, when people talk... Let me see if I could do it in my Arnold voice. Uh, let's see. It's not the Tuma. All right, got to get into character. When people talk about it, I can't do it, (laughs) but when people talk about it, he says, I will see them again in heaven. It sounds so good, but the reality is that we won't see each other again after we're gone. That's the sad part. I know people feel comfortable with death, but I don't, he said, Uh, basically saying that heaven is a fantasy. It says, to me, heaven is where I put a person who I love dearly, who is kind, who is generous, who made a a difference in my life and other people's lives. He said, "I keep them in a spot in my head, like front row, so that you have all of your friends, and you always have a good feeling when you think of them." So, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger giving his thoughts on heaven. I think they differ from from many in the mainstream. I want to bring back our guest Jesse Holguin. He's the founder of the Lexit Movement. He's a social activist, political activist, former gang member who was shot and paralyzed and now dedicates himself to doing all that is right and making California better. Jesse Holguin, how do you respond to your former governor saying heaven is a fantasy?
11: Well, that's a a total joke. And who would you rather uh, take advice from? Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jesus? Because evidently (laughs) he needs to go read his Bible because uh, Jesus himself said that he was going to heaven and that he was going to come back. He's going He's over there preparing a place for us. So the Bible talks all through the Bible about heaven. He talks more about heaven than hell. So he needs to go read his Bible because I'm going to listen to what Jesus says. I am going to listen to what God says over some any Hollywood actor, because we all know about Pedro, Hollywood, all the evil, anti-God stuff. I was just on today with uh, Noel G., an actor from Fast and the Furious. We interviewed him on Mm -hmm. the Lexit show, and he was even telling telling us how the backlash he gets just for being a Christian over there in Hollywood, they're all totally anti-God. So I wouldn't listen to anything anybody out of Hollywood says.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point with how things have changed in Hollywood and how things are changing in popular culture. Um, A lot of that comes from where we both are from. Right. You see these changes coming out of New York. You see these changes coming out of California. Um, What do you do you see a change? Do you see a shift? Even, you know, I know you've seen the shift in your own life and with your organization, uh, the Lexit Movement and how it's grown in the time in the few years I've known you. Uh, But do you feel that that's continuing to spread? Is it moving quickly? Is it moving slowly? Do you feel more people are moving towards a more traditional uh, outlook on life uh, in California, or at least in in Southern California where you are? Or do you think uh, it's business as usual?
11: Uh, Well... With the older people, yes, and like I said, parents, a lot of them are waking up, like funny enough, like a lot of the people that I was out there with were former that they voted for Democrats. A lot, most of those people that were out there were voting for Democrats. Now they're seeing the egg on their face. They're seeing what you, me, all of us have been warning for all these years, like, hey, now they're reaping the consequences of their actions. I like, go, well, see, we're trying to tell you guys about these Democrats. See, they, they manipulated you using race and all these other things to get your vote. And look, they're they're trying to do this, put this agenda, alphabetic agenda down our throats. This is what the, the consequences are. But the only part where I see is with the youth because of the doc, indoctrination in the schools and all that. It mm-hmm. seems like the younger generation is being more going more to the left, more radical. I'm sure it's always like that, probably. Because you know how they say that when they're young, they're always Democrats and liberals. And then when they get older, they turn to the conservative side. But I see it Mm -hmm. a lot, I guess because of pop culture and the rap and all that kind of stuff. And then that's what happens. Again, we're seeing the consequences for them removing God out of everything, moving God, prayer out of schools and all that. We're starting, the, the roosters are coming home to roost or whatever, whatever the hell that saying goes. Yeah, the chickens coming are coming home, home, to, home to roost. Yeah, they're coming now, home Jesse to roost. Hogan. We're starting to see it.
2: Yeah, I just, so, I want to follow up with a question here. Because you, you you mentioned uh, a lot in, in that statement. And uh, I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you think things get better or do you think they get worse down the road? Folks, we're on with Jesse Holguin. He's the founder of the Likes It Movement. We're coming right back.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an
2: S. All right, America, welcome back. And you've seen him on the Fox News channel. He speaks at some of the largest conservative conferences and conventions across the country. Jesse Holguin is a former gangbanger from Los Angeles and he, uh, turned his life around after getting shot and paralyzed. He's in a wheelchair. He's a paraplegic. And now he's, um... Uh a prominent social activist focused on politics and and social issues uh, across the country based out of Los Angeles. He's with us now uh, until we wrap in a moment or so. Jesse Hogan, welcome back. Let everybody know how they can learn more about the work that you're doing to protect kids from grooming, to uh, protect um, your fellow citizens in California from the ever encroaching larger government that you see in California and uh, how they could keep up to speed with everything that you're doing. In that regard.
11: Yeah. On our website, our go to our website, we are lexit.com or or on social media. We're on, on on Instagram. We're under Lexit Movement. And then on Twitter, TikTok, all that Lexit Movement. Only on Facebook we're real Lexit. But everywhere else it's just Lexit, Lexit Movement. And again, it's the website is wearelexit.com.
2: And um, Jesse Hogan, when are you coming to New York?
11: Jeez, I know. My wife's been telling me that. I don't know, brother. Hopefully soon.
2: Shoot, let me. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, if you don't come to New York, hopefully I'll catch you. I'll ke- I'll-, I'll come and visit you. The weather's always yeah. good in California, although it gets a little uh, smoky and smoggy over there. But um, we yeah, definitely yeah. got to connect real soon, folks. Jesse Holguin, he's founder of the Lexit Movement. Jesse, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Um, I know that uh, you've got your hands full with the work that you're doing, and it's a remarkable story that you have and a lot of work ahead of you. So uh, Godspeed to you, my brother.
11: Hey, well, we'll be in front of Dodger Stadium. We're having a rally on the 16th in front of Dodger Stadium, so everybody keep us in prayer.
2: Amen to that. Jesse Holguin with the Lexit Movement. Thanks again, my brother. All right, thanks, brother. Yes, sir. Now, folks, straight ahead, we're going to get into – all the topics of the day, as well as my uh, insight, analysis, commentary. I'm going to crack a couple of jokes as well, some audio, some news articles. And, of course, your calls. That's the, my favorite part. You know, of course, this being a call-in show and an interview program, we balance the two. But in the third hour of the program, we love to welcome your calls from across the country. you got to get them in early, though, because we always end up leaving people on hold once we wrap up the show, and I hate doing that. So call in now, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833 482 833 It's Open Phone America, and it's starting right now. Don't go anywhere. Rich Valdez, America at Night. We'll be right back.
1: Live from the city that never sleeps.
2: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be here with you guys on this uh, Wednesday night. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. Some of the, the big headlines you've heard by now, President, uh, presidential hopeful, I should say, Vice President Mike Pence has thrown his hat in the ring. He was on CNN earlier tonight. We'll get to some of the audio on that later. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, of course, has visited the border. We've got the audio on that and uh, calling it unsustainable, the border crisis, by the way. And, of course, uh, Trump is saying, nobody's telling me that I'm being indicted, but the DOJ is leaking to the media that they are going to be indicting Trump. And, of course, we've heard that in the past. If you missed any part of our conversations tonight with any of our guests, uh, feel free to check out Rich Valdez, America at dot com. Rich Valdez, America at dot com, where you can check out any of the guests we've uh, had on tonight. That will um, the archive of that will be available. Let's see, probably about uh, an hour and a half from now, uh, just about a half hour, 40 minutes, an hour after the program airs. It's available for you to go to, and all the rest of them are there archived as well, com, And, of course, in true um, Larry King and Jim Bohannon tradition, we uh, uphold that tradition of open-phone America right here on this program. We take your calls live from one end of the country to the other and sometimes all across the globe, like to Manila, Philippines, when our buddy Gil checks in. So um, we're going to be doing your phone calls straight ahead. I also wanted to... um, Remind you that tomorrow, believe it or not, it was, uh, tomorrow will be, I think it's four years or three years since um, I um, went to say hello to my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, better known as all out crazy to the folks listening to this program. And I said, hey, congresswoman, and she legitimately ran away from me. Then her people said, no, 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 she wasn't running. She was just marching in the parade. And then there were people with cameras and they caught her running away. So that video went out and it went out on the New York Post. It was a big deal. And then her uh, her team uh, told me to go F myself uh, on Twitter. And then they deleted that. But then uh, the Washington Times and the New York Post had gotten a screenshot of it. And it it was a big thing. And that that um, press secretary eventually did um, resign, lose his job, whatever. Anyway, we'll get into that tomorrow. I just wanted to tease that. And of course, we're going to get into your calls because I, I want to get into those. Now, let me see. Where are we going to go from here? We're going to go to, let's see, let's see, Ken. Let's go to Ken. He's calling from Lansing, Michigan on WILS. Go right ahead, Ken.
4: Good evening, Rich. Uh, great show as always. What a what a great guest you just had on. A, a gentleman from California, Jesse, I believe was his name. Jesse
2: Holguin, Yes.
4: Well, I'll tell you what, California could use a hell of a lot more men like him.
2: <laughs> You're not kidding. And that's him in a wheelchair. <laughs> he's he's a tough guy. He's a fighter.
4: He, he sounds like he's all man to me. But uh, I can't imagine uh, how these Antifa clowns think they can just go into neighborhoods where they don't live. They have no business there. They're only there to cause violence and, and uh disturb people and stir up the pot back when uh hitler was first coming to power he had with the, the brown shirts remember when he had the brown shirts, yeah. and they would go into areas and, and just beat people up and just cause havoc and cause trouble but they they lived in no part of that area
2: so yeah, well, I mean, these uh, antifa are the modern day brown shirts i've heard that comment before it, it's, uh, it's a shame. And it, it really is whether you call them Antifa today or, you know, the whatever army tomorrow, because it, it seems to be the same people. And I started to notice this in um, Zuccotti Park in New York City. There was a movement called Occupy Wall Street back in the early 2000s, I'm thinking 2004 ish, if I'm not mistaken. And these activists, many of them were paid. They were the same people. These were the same people that were anti-war protesters before that going against George W. Bush. And it's the same group of malcontent, left-leaning individuals that subscribe to Marxism. And they're willing to 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 earn a check uh, for whatever protest you want them to be assigned to. And they'll label themselves as such. They're kind of like white label protesters. And 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 they really they're they're movement leftists, if you will. And this is what they do. And uh, now their their latest is going out there. And you could see they use the same tactics. They try to shove people. If the cops grab them, four or five of them will grab the person the cop is grabbing to pull them away from the police. They don't care if they think tear gas is coming. They all bust out umbrellas from nowhere in their backpacks. They keep a little brick in their backpack or frozen cans of soda so that they can use the backpack as a weapon and uh, lots of bear mace and, and, and other things that they're, they're known to use. And um, thankfully, we didn't see that at this protest uh, um, with the school kids and the Glendale Unified School District protest uh, um, a couple of days ago. But interesting, nonetheless, that that's exactly how they roll. So I think it's a great point you bring up, Ken. Um, and as far as um, more people that are, you know, activist minded in America, I agree with you on that point, too. Uh, America could definitely use a few more tough guys out there that are willing to stand up for what they believe in, Ken.
4: And I'm, I'm proud of the people of that community for sticking up for themselves. The Latinos and the Armenians Not let a bunch of white liberal punks come into their community and try to tell them what to do. And I hope they put a foot right up their backside, Rich.
2: God bless you, Ken. Thank you for the call. Of course, uh, you know, it's my job to say we want to do everything in peace, in peace, right? So you only hit them if they hit you first, uh, big shout out to everybody listening on W I L S. And I just want to remind you that, you know, part of the way you, you stay strong and manly and tough, is eating a steak. You got to eat a steak. You can't be a soy boy, right? You can't just throw soy in everything you do. You know, there's some studies and, um, they're, they're questionable, but I've seen them that say that soy contributes to, um, a little bit of extra estrogen production in men. And some suggest that, you know, all the soy latte drinking folks out in California that are, uh, Antifa members, um, are suffering from this uh, it, this uh, low uh, testosterone issue. I don't know. But I say eat a steak. You know why? Because eating a steak is one of the things that I love doing with my dad. I, and I continue the tradition with my brother. We go out in the backyard every now and again. We'll throw a, you know, I like, I, I like all sorts of cuts of uh, steak. And one of my favorite things to do is to order one of the packages from Omaha Steaks. You know, Father's Day is right around the corner. So why don't you get your dad what he really wants? Omaha Steaks, they're perfectly aged, always tender and guaranteed delicious. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it super easy to put a smile on your dad's face. Do it this summer, and you can do it with their hand-selected packages. Head over to omahasteaks.com and use promo code GRILL, G-R-I-L-L. Use that at checkout. You're going to get $30 off your qualifying order. Now, you can choose from a variety of mouth-watering packages – That include the fork-tender bacon-wrapped filet mignon or other gourmet grillables like the air-chilled boneless chicken breasts or the burgers. The burgers are delicious. Jumbo Franks, fantastic. And many more. And the reason I say that, because I got this beautiful little white Styrofoam cooler in the mail that said Omaha Steaks on it. And it had all of these items in it and i and i've personally had them and i can tell you they are absolutely delicious. Now, don't forget to save room for dessert because most of these gift packages come with four delicious caramel apple tartlets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Go to omahasteaks.com and use code GRILL, G R I L L and get 30 bucks off the unforgettable gift packages that they have. This is guaranteed to make your dad's day super. Why? Because if there's one thing we know, it's that dad's like steak. So what are you waiting for? Go to OmahaSteaks.com, promo code GRILL when you check out. And remember, whether he's your father, your father-in-law, or a father figure, he's the guy who is always ready to step up when you needed him most. Dad, right? So this Father's Day, show him the love that you can only show with the gift that shows him how memorable he is memorable he is And that's the mouth-watering perfection of Omaha Steaks. He won't forget it. They're perfectly aged. They're tender and they're hand-selected. Go to omahasteaks.com and get that $30 off. Remember, use promo code GRILL, G-R-I-L-L, and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S.
7: In our obsession with antagonisms of the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, Is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war
2: and the threat of war? Well, that being said, of course, that's uh, the late great Ronaldus Magnus, as uh, El Rushbo used to call him. Uh, But uh, speaking of aliens, uh, the Canadians have attended the first of its kind UFO briefing at the Pentagon. Uh, Amid extraordinary new claims, U.S. uh, officials deliver the first briefing to allied nations. The Canadian government has confirmed its participation in a first-of-its-kind international meeting on unidentified flying objects hosted at the United States military headquarters. The gathering at the Pentagon late last month uh, came amid a burst of activity in Washington and eye-popping news reports related to so-called unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAP. It featured uh, blah, 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 it is according to the uh, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting um, Corporation. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more on that later, but I just wanted to throw that out there. And I know some of you have comments on Michael Reagan, who was our guest earlier today, as well as on uh, yesterday's program on D-Day. So we're going to get to your comments and thoughts right now. Uh let's check in with Roger in Akron Ohio W N I R Roger you're on with Rich Valdez welcome
8: Uh good morning Rich thank you um Yes sir Yeah I was on deck before when uh, J- uh uh Jimbo was going out I uh and you were You guys were both on the air at the same time and I I didn't get on I was still on deck but uh I never did. I didn't. I've never got to speak to Jim mm-hmm. Boy. That was my and and I wanted to put it out there to your audience that it, something you said in, during that broadcast was uh, that one less maybe one percent of your audience uh, calls in and that's I thought that was I, I was surprised by that. And, and, um, yeah, that's true. I, I and tonight I got on quite easily. I was surprised. I I used to always think in the back of my head, oh, I could never get on this nationwide, and uh, not many people call in. I guess, but.
2: Well, there is. It, it depends on the time you call. Yeah, and typically whenever I give that invitation, so I started around uh, eleven forty, right, uh, uh, Eastern time. Um So the you know halfway, a little bit past the halfway park of that part of the second hour to get people in line because you know it takes a while to get them screen and get them in there. And this way, come midnight, we're ready to go. Um, sometimes you know they, they, the lines do get full, depending on the topic, of course. And you know, and and if sports are on, now listen, if there's a game on, you're always going to get through <laughs> because the the game always interferes with things. But outside of that, um, you know, it's kind of hit or miss depending on the day. But anyway, Roger, go right ahead.
8: Oh no, I was just going to say you you have you he's never done that, but you you always mentioned when we say goodnight, we didn't get on, Roger, and so it's over me. Uh, I, I like that you 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 mentioned the people still hanging on when you when you're at
2: the end. Of the I that's right. Really nice. Yeah, I know. That's, that's well, I figure study. if you went out of your way to give uh, the program a call and have a conversation with all of us, you know, I'm I'm always looking forward to speak with everybody. This is really one of the highlights of of this gig, uh, is is speaking to to people. You know, uh, where else am I going to talk to somebody in Akron, Ohio? Right, but for coming to work and speaking with you, Roger. So to me, these are the the cool things that you know. Um, my job beats up a lot of other people's jobs because I get to do all of this communicating with people all over the place. And I just think that's really cool.
8: you uh, where you go get your, uh, your espresso uh, coffee. <laughs> right. Uh, with the Cubans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He sounds like a good guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah I like to listen to, uh, you know, having um, Reagan's son on there. That was, that was very interesting. And it's just surreal. What's going on now with this administration and, Compared to his and uh, the, the lack of leadership oh, I'm what can I say you know it's it's night and day right?
2: Roger It's it, night and day yeah. between the, the Reagan years and now now I know there's people that have a lot of uh, critique of Reagan of Bush of, of you name it every administration in the last 40 or 50 years uh, but I, I think if we're being really fair, I think the Biden administration is really taking the cake on a number of issues, mainly the way we're slipping socially, right? I think we're, we're losing a grasp of, of what America once was. And of course that's the progress that the quote unquote progressives are looking for. They don't want what we used to have. And, and it's remarkable that when I look out, uh, I see, I see I still see a struggle, right? I still see a culture war, Uh, I don't think they've won completely, but it does at at times look like they're winning. And then there's times where, you know, I meet people or bump into people and they'll pull me aside if they know that, you know, I'm on the radio. They'll say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And it's very encouraging because it, you know, reminds me that there are people that are interested in uh, Americanism and and putting uh, God, country and family uh, back on on uh, on display for America. And then, you know, sometimes I have disheartening conversations where I meet people and they're like, yeah, you know, those old ideas of God, country and family, they're just, uh, they're just that old and archaic antiquated ideas. And that's always very um, deflating for me, Roger. Yes, I, uh, I, I
8: think we are the majority and it's just the the, the fake news, making people believe that we're not. And it's hard to stay positive all the time, but I I usually try, (laughs) I'm going to say with you, You
2: you and me both, Roger. I appreciate it, brother. God bless you. And a big shout out to everybody listening on WNIR in Akron, Ohio. Straight ahead, we're going to get to the rest of your calls. I see we got my buddy Gil from the Philippines. He's on deck. We're going to get to you momentarily. Uh, We got calls from Montana and from Reno, Nevada, and more coming up. Uh, The number again, 833-4VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I also wanted to just tease quickly some stuff that we're going to get into uh, in the second half of the program. There's a story here. I'm not going to read it all because it's a long story, but I will share it. Wall Street Journal article saying that Instagram now connects uh, a vast pedophile network and saying that Meta's systems for fostering communities have guided users to child sex content. The company says it's improving its internal controls, but, you know. For those out there to think that this isn't a thing and that people aren't trying to groom children wake up anyway we're coming right back there's more to come straight ahead i'm rich valdez it's america at night don't go anywhere
1: That's Valdez with an S.
2: So Instagram from the company Meta helps connect and promote a vast network of accounts openly devoted to the commission and purchase of underage sex content, according to an investigation by the Wall Street Journal and researchers at Stanford University and the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Pedophiles have long used the Internet, but unlike the forums and file transfer services that cater to people who have interest in illicit content, Instagram doesn't merely host these activities. It, um, it facilitates them in a way. Its algorithms promote them. Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to content sellers via recommendation systems that excel at linking those who share niche interests the journal, and the academic researchers found. That's pretty serious. Now, though out of sight for most on the platform, the sexualized accounts on Instagram are brazen about their interest. the researchers found that Instagram enabled people to search explicit hashtags such as hashtag and hashtag preteensex and connected them to accounts that used the terms to advertise child sex material for sale. Such accounts often claim to be run by the children themselves and use overtly sexual handles, incorporating words such as little slut for you, end quote. I'll get to the rest of this in a little bit, but just fascinating, right? Meanwhile, I've got, you know, I always tell people to chime in online and uh, I I take the criticism and, and the praise And listen to this. This is Jeremy Lyons. He's at LY0NS on Twitter. He says at 1146 p.m. Eastern time, no one is grooming children. Stop with the fear mongering. And that gang member is a joke. I don't understand how this show actually has listeners. Uh, Last I heard. So like somewhere between five and six million, maybe a little bit more like six and a half million. Uh, But. Who am I to say anything? Right, Jeremy Lyons? You know a whole lot. Let's see, Jeremy Lyons. Oh, he's blocked me. Jeremy Lyons has blocked me. <laughs> OK, well, I guess that we've had enough of you, Jeremy Lyons. He threw he threw a stone and then he blocked me. I haven't even responded to him. Anyway, let's get to your calls and your thoughts on these issues. Um, let's see. Where 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 do we leave off? Gil in the Philippines. Go right ahead, my brother.
5: Hello, hello, hello. I'm not in Manila. I'm in the southern part of the country, in know, a, a city. Oh, you sound Honestia. so much different
2: today. You sound more southern.
5: Yeah. Well, that must be what it is. Um, and I want to commend you for your show yesterday on D-Day. Um, Thank you. Nice that some people still remember. Uh, I think, you know, I'm a veteran and uh, was a yes, contemporary sir. Thank you for your of your service. predecessor. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I didn't. I'm not like your predecessor. I didn't do very much. Uh, he, ser- he actually served in combat, Jim Boyan did. Uh, right. The only combat I ever saw was with my first wife. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, I wanted to give you a, a, a historical reference to where I am right now. I okay. think I may have mentioned that in a previous life I was a history major. And yes. you probably heard of the Great Escape. It was made into a movie, uh, a World War II movie, uh, Steve McQueen, James Garner, and a bunch of British actors uh, reenacted that escape. So there was a great escape here, uh, and it was led by a guy by the name of Ed D. Y E S S. E-Y-E-S-S. Um, he was a pilot and uh, was here in the Philippines when the Japanese came. Uh, he fought until there were no more airplanes. And then he what became he an infantry from? officer. He was... He. Uh, what state was he from?
2: No, I said, what did he escape from?
5: He escaped from a Japanese prison camp here. I just wanted oh, to give you the background. It was the only successful escape from a Japanese POW camp. It was wow. a mass escape. And he led it. This guy, uh, he uh, survived... Um, the death march, famous death march uh, on uh, Bataan, uh, two prison camps in the northern part of the country. And his health was good enough that they shipped him here to another prison camp where they were doing work. It was a work camp. And he led an escape of uh, nine other people. And it started at a place called Davao and ended here where I am now in Pagadian. They sent a submarine from Australia to pick him up there were 10 of them. He was ordered to Australia because of what he knew. And another officer went with him and eight of the people who could have gone back to Australia, decided to stay here and fight with the guerrillas. So when they talk about the greatest generation, they were not exaggerating.
2: No kidding. And Gil, I want to thank you for your service. I also want to thank Jim Bohannon for his service, of course. a um, Real patriot and just uh, all-around awesome guy, the late, great Jim Bohannon. And of course, big shout-out to you, Gil, and thanks for tuning in and for your kind words on our D-Day show. Uh, we are going to continue. Let us go to Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. Bill, go right ahead.
10: Yes, uh, Rich. Uh, uh, I enjoyed your Michael Reagan uh, Story this evening, and it got me thinking of President Reagan and uh, a famous photo of him that Walter Cronkite put in his book. uh, After uh, Reagan had a uh, uh, an interview with uh, Walter Cronkite, and Cronkite, of course, didn't agree with him in a lot of things, but he said he was the most affable uh, president he could win, hands down, and uh, this photograph was after the the interview, Reagan invited him to a back office party, and there's this photo of everybody from Jim Brady to Vice President George Bush, uh, Director of Communications David Gergen, and Chief of Staff Jim Baker, and they're all having champagne and cake and telling dirty stories after the fact, so I thought that was...
2: (laughs) That is cool. Jim, uh, Bill, you are the resident historian here on the program. Always have the best stories and the best historical uh, references and tidbits. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Uh, Godspeed to you. And a big shout out to everybody listening on KTTR. Let us continue. Let's go to John in Reno, Nevada, KDKA. John, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez.
12: Hey, Rich. Thanks for having Michael Reagan on. Uh, yes, Ronald Reagan brings back so many good memories for me. Uh, I was born in 1972 in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. So when uh, Reagan was elected in 1980, uh, it started an era of eight years of uh, just fascination for me. Um, you know, he was Irish. My mom's two were Irish. Every night he was on TV, he was like my grandfather on TV. Um, you know, he took down the wall, uh, he did so many great things. Um, he was a huge influence in my life. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would have been the conservative that I am today if it wasn't for me having him in my formative years doing such a good job, uh, perhaps one of the greatest presidents ever.
2: Yeah. Listen, I, uh, I was just a kid watching my parents watch Reagan on TV. And I can tell you that I always enjoyed it. And I, I loved how how my mom, more than anybody, she was always so enthralled on his speeches, you know, like we'd walk in and and, and she'd be like, shh, 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 the president is speaking you know? <laughs> if he was doing an address from the Oval Office or something like that. And I always thought that was pretty cool. I was like, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, you know, what's so important about this guy? But as I I grew up and um, started to see the contrast as as different presidents came in, I said, man, this this Reagan was really remarkable. And that's what led me to learn more about him and read more about him and listen to, to old footage. And um, I I agree with you. Um, one of the greatest ever. And what an inspiration to both uh, patriots, like he would say, informed patriots uh, in, in America as well as as um, our fellow uh, citizens of the world, if you will, right? Other countries that I think also took note of, of Reagan's leadership and benefited from it as well. Uh, excellent point, uh, John. I thank you for the call. on listening online. Rich Valdez, America at night.com is the website if you want to listen live. And we're coming right back to your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 4 valdes That's Valdez with an S.
13: I have a whole kind of confluence of impressions about what I saw. I mean, starting last night, it was like a, a dystopian nightmare with, you know, all of these desperate people flooding across the wall and in a situation that clearly could have been prevented.
2: That is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's running for president against Joe Biden in the Democrat primary for the presidency in 2024. And he has now spent more time at the border, right at the border in the Yuma sector, uh, Arizona's border with Mexico, than both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. That's Que Malares and and Joel Baboso Biden. They are um, they have been outdone by RFK Jr. Now, RFK Jr. added while he was there in that uh, cell phone video that he took uh, over there with the border wall behind him. That he saw people coming in from all over the place, 117 different nations uh, are are represented in the migrants that are coming across, saying that they're put on buses and they're brought to border patrol stations and they're processed, and after four or five days, they're released on their own recognizance into our country, and most of them are never seen or heard from again, he said. And uh, he just went on to talk about this is a humanitarian crisis and it's unsustainable. And. He's saying it's not anti-immigrant bigotry to demand an immigration system that keeps out criminals. In fact, letting them in stokes bigotry, saying, as president, I will enforce a secure border and I will expand the kind of legal immigration that made our country great. Let us continue with your calls and reactions to all of the news of the day. Let us go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI, Frank. What do you think of rfk jr being at the border
13: oh i don't know uh, maybe if he was moses he would just lead his people back into the jungle so you know that but that would be biden's job though but, the desert uh, no uh, <laughs> we're wherever <laughs> uh i wanted to talk about a uh, perennial uh problem we had in this country for eight Presidential elections, and that was Lyndon LaRouche, and um, he was with the LaRouche PAC Communist Party. Yeah, and the LaRouche Pack, and now he died in two thousand nineteen. But he he started out in politics back in the eighties during Reagan's term, and um, going forward, I think he, in the year around the two thousand elections, he was instrumental in in developing the. The oh the third party and the neocon movement and so there was he was considered a right wing commie at the time and but now it's shifted to the left and of course the communist party in Russia has a left wing and a right wing it's just it's two extremes so. and uh, the movement is still going on and there's scientific yeah it, it
2: is in, I, I went to a uh, political um, meeting, I don't know, maybe like a year ago, and there were a bunch of Larouche people there trying to recruit me.
13: Yeah, they're weird. Uh, uh, I don't know where they're going to go, but uh, uh, they're they're into total chaos. Um, there, there's it's not a workable solution for any country, including Russia. So, anyway.
2: yeah, I, and, you know what else? What also isn't a workable solution is what we have going on here. Right? where we we haven't passed a budget in forever. I think uh, since 1996, it was pointed out earlier, uh, from uh, the president of the Government Accountability Institute, Peter Schweitzer. Um, we continually pass these continuing resolutions to get through any budget cycle. And it's just amazing to me that we that's the new normal. And all, all we can do is talk in a utopian way about how great it's going to be when we have a balanced budget amendment, which uh, I'll be honest right now, I don't believe that that is happening ever. Can it happen? Sure. Will it happen? Doubt it. And it's, it's fascinating that that's where we are as a nation today, just on that front and on so many other fronts, when you look at where we are uh, socially, where you look at the fabric of things, where you look at how patriotism is viewed, where now you're considered a uh, extreme, uh, what do they call it? A, um, a MAGA extremist, MAGA Republican, whatever it is, if, if you believe in America first. And it's just it's shocking to me in many ways how far we've gone off the mark and how the right place to be is saying, look, just don't kill people and don't harm people. And that's that's the height of goodness. The whole idea of Christianity or Judeo-Christian principles and values. Well, that's that's each his own. You know, it's, it's not really the height of anything. It's not really what we aim for. It's not even what we started this country on. Just just everybody mind your own business. Leave everybody alone. We'll be all right. Literally not why we started this country or how we started the country, but that seems to be the, uh, the lay of the land today. It just fascinates me how historically illiterate many of us are, and those that aren't historically illiterate still embrace uh, the um, postmodernism that uh, we experience today, as well as Relativism on so many different fronts. Anyway, Frank, thank you for your call and your thoughts. We're going to continue our conversations and your calls. If uh, there's anybody that wants to get in, I'll try to get one more call in before we wrap up. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 4Valdez. That's Valdez with an S.
2: America welcome back lots that I wanted to get to tonight that I didn't get into um, let me see I kind of briefly touched on my Canadian UFO story that I did um, let me see there was another one here Doug Bergum. we didn't really get into him too much maybe I'll do that tomorrow I want to continue this maybe we'll make it a series this Wall Street Journal investigation found finds that uh, Instagram algorithms actively benefit pedophiles That was a big one, and I think I want to dig into that, maybe bring in a couple of people to discuss it because I think it's interesting. Let me see, there was another one here that I wanted to do. Oh, this is a funny one. This guy in Finland got a $130,000 speeding ticket uh, because they base it on your income. Isn't that crazy? Uh, now, this is similar to how they want to do utilities and so many other things in California based on one's income. You can spend this if you make that. You know, it's the old, good old saying, your fair share, right? Your fair share. It's this communist philosophy that that is permeating so much of our political dialogue. But, yeah, imagine that. Imagine driving down the road. And uh, and it happened to me the other day. Uh, I told you I, I, um, I got a, a, a newer SUV recently and <clears throat> I was driving, I guess, faster than I should have. And uh, the cop pulled me over and was like, you know, you're doing, I don't know how many in a whatever mile per hour zone. And I was like, oh, sorry, man. I literally just got this car and, you know, I guess it's faster than I anticipated. And, you know, my bad. And he was like, all right. And he gave me a break. Uh, He gave me a warning and he didn't give me a ticket. And uh, that was nice. And I was actually on my way to my favorite Cuban place in Bogota, New Jersey. It was the Bogota police. So uh, I'm grateful to uh, Sergeant Rydell for not giving me a speeding ticket, but he made sure he gave me a ticket. Right? I think I got a double parking ticket or the equivalent of it. Uh, so I'm obstructing the passage of traffic ticket because uh, it wasn't going to get just a warning. They had to make sure they, they ding me and I had to pay something. Uh, but again, no points. So I was grateful. I was happy to pay it and happy not to get a, a ticket with points on it. For you know, going faster than I should have. But uh, imagine this guy, 130k, because he makes a lot of money. Unbelievable. Anyway, take care. Good night. God bless. I am Rich Valdez. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're gonna do it all again tomorrow. Stay tuned to this station, and I'll see you mañana.